Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and the Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Dave Rude. Dave Rude is just one of my favorite people in the world, period. He's equally at home explaining the heaviest metal riff that I've ever heard or writing an acoustic love song with me via Skype while entertaining his son with pirates all at the same time. Dave's in one of the best prog metal bands of all time, in my opinion, Tesla, but you'd never know that while chatting about coffee or pirates. Here's Dave Rude. All right, this is Bartier, thinking and drinking. Got Dave Rude from Tesla here. Hey, buddy. What's happening? How are you? I'm good, man. Glad to be here. <laughs> you flew all. Where were you last? Because uh, you guys have started touring, correct? A little bit. We we did a two night run, uh, two night stand, I guess, in uh, Oregon um, last weekend, and then I flew out here to write for a few days, and then the big tour starts in a couple of weeks with Joan Jett and Sticks. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, it'll be super fun. That'll be really cool. Well, tell me if I uh, am wrong on all this stuff, but in doing some research, you joined Tesla in 2006. Mm-hmm. Have you made eight records with them? Is that or, uh, uh, mm, No, but... With, with oh, live? A and, good and, amount. Yeah, maybe if you include all the live records. With yeah. the new one also? Yeah, that could be. I think that's right. That. You did the Jeff Keith solo record. Uh, I didn't go on. I wasn't on that one. Oh, you weren't? Mm-mm. Well, I am not good here. Were you in the Dave Rude band? Uh, also a common uh, misconception. No, it's a completely unrelated. <laughs> yes. Common misconception. <laughs> I've sued that man on several occasions. <laughs> Cease and desist letter. No, uh, yeah. That was... He will not return a phone call. <laughs> no, I, I did. Yeah, I had Dave Rude band for about five or six years. Two records? Uh, two EPs and then a full length. Okay. I listened to the key the other day. Oh, cool. Dude, that's really heavy stuff. <laughs> like a lot. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and you're living in Oakland, the Bay Area? Yeah, Bay Area. Yep. Married and have a little boy? We sure do. Is that hard on the road? Do you e- Skype with him? Yeah. You know, uh, FaceTime is so crazy. Like it, it really makes such a big difference because, you know, when I started touring, there wasn't that really yeah uh, and i mean just having a cell phone makes it easier you can talk all to home all the time but having the the actual sight thing oh man yeah especially with with a little kid you know because yeah. it's it's always hard but i've it it was weird it was surprising to me how much better it made it even though it's still hard to not be there yeah and when you guys leave town you leave town for a while yeah we usually you know month out maybe a couple weeks back I mean, this one, like, we're we're going out on the Joan Jet tour, it's like two months with one week off in the middle of it. And then, you know, maybe we'll have a week or two off after that and then start doing another month of headlining dates. You yeah. Know? Which is, it's great to be working, so, you know, yeah. can't complain. Well, yeah, it's better than making burgers. <laughs> it is, plus my burgers, I mean, you'll get sick. <laughs> I, I don't know how long to cook them, how hot they should be. <laughs> I made this one in an interesting shape. It's a star. It's really, you know, I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it. So, Frank found you on YouTube, is that right? Uh, he found me on 
Sorry, uh, ye old MySpace. MySpace, yes, even better. It's, it's, right, it's so dated now. It's like, it's like it's I was watching a beta video on, <laughs> <laughs> while looking at MySpace. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, MySpace was really huge, right? And Facebook didn't exist yet, so that was that was the top of the mark at that point. It's like vintage social media. <laughs> If there is such a thing. Back when we used to cut social media on two-track tapes. <laughs> social media straight to tape. Yeah. Put it on your turntable, man. <laughs> so where was your first show with Tesla? Ogden, Utah. Were you nervous? Yeah. Yeah, because I, I had been in uh, like you know club bands just in the Bay Area um, for a long time and played a lot of shows and all that, but you know, I... I I had only ever played in front of a few hundred people. So I was excited. Uh, I wasn't worried about it, but I was just like, well, that's going to be a pretty big yeah. change, you know. And um, it was really smooth. It was, you know, not too big. I think it was 2,000, uh, maybe 2,500 people. Oh, cool. And um, which is, I mean, that's a lot of people, yeah. but, you know, it could have been more extreme. I mean, we were originally uh, the first show was supposed to be opening for Leonard Skinner at the Shoreline Amphitheater, which is you know like fifteen thousand people, and it's my hometown yeah. like big show. It's like welcome to the big leagues, kid. You know, <laughs> thankfully it, it it Skinner dropped out for some reason, and uh, they rescheduled the show for like three months later, and with Sammy Hagar instead. So I actually I was like. Whew, Thank God. Like, so we just, you know, it was kind of eased into it. And then, like, yeah, at the end of the summer, we went back. And by then, it was like, oh, cool. This is fun. And then yeah. it was, like, really cool. But, uh, yeah, so it was it was good. So, and I've just read interviews with, uh, like, Zach Wilde replacing Randy Rhodes mm-hmm. and Jake and whatever. And you were replacing Tommy. Mm-hmm. Did you learn solos and stuff note for note? Did the band have input on that? Did they want you to do that? Did you just do it because you thought it was the right thing to do? Or um, You know what? It was... I, I already knew a lot of the songs and yeah. solos because I was a big Tesla fan. Like, right. Since I was a little kid, I, I loved the band. Um, so I just knew a, a lot of them anyway. So that that helped overall, just kind of knowing it. Um, but also, um, I had gone out with Frank Cannon's solo band for a couple of weeks okay. before we had ever done any Tesla shows as like a, you know, we called it like a Tesla boot camp, And, you know, we just, I mean that on that tour, it was like 90% Tesla songs because we were getting me ready for right. the tour. Um, and, um, so I was learning them all then. And basically, I mean, I play most of them pretty close to the record. There's, you know, they basically when they, when, when I joined the band, they said, you know, um, there are certain songs that have like really signature solos. Sure. So, you know, or harmony stuff. Yeah. Has to be stuff that it's gotta yeah. be. It's it's more like a part of the song. Right. right, right. So those ones, you know, you should do, do note for note. And, and I was like, of course, like, I'm, you know, you're what you give solos, like one of the best solos ever played. So I'm not going to yeah. try and do my own thing on that right. one. Right. Like, I'm going to go bluesy to this one tonight. You know, no, I can make it better. I know yeah. I can. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, you can't. So, <laughs> so that one, you know, and, and so all the big ones, cowboy, uh, you know, um, oh, yeah. uh, what you give all, uh, all, all those ones, I stick it to the record, but then there are, there are a few where there are places like, all the solo or half of the solo, I kind of get to do my own thing. And I mean, Frank does the same thing. So it keeps it interesting for us. And, oh, yeah. you know, and it's even when, when I am doing like a little improv thing, 
it's in the same feel, you know, right. it's something that I don't even know if people even notice, but like Frank and I both do it. A lot of, there's like, we know there are spots where we can kind of like do our own thing. And like you look, you're like, whoa, that was cool tonight. Yeah. You know, like that was a little different, it, which it just keeps it a lot more interesting. But it interesting. fits the song. And we do it so it fits the song, right. exactly. Yeah. So the new record produced by you guys and Phil Colin from Def Leppard. Yeah, I Phil produced it. was super, super fun. I can't wait for people to hear it. Dude, the stuff I've seen on... Just metal sites and stuff. Just what's the one? Oh shoot! It was you guys in a church. Oh, the video, yeah, yeah, with Phil in it, yeah, yeah. That was for Taste That Goodness, yes. Um, which um, it's a great song. Man. Oh, thanks. That that one that was how it kind of all started because we we were out with Def Leppard for like three years in a row, basically. Um, it was it was really fun. It was great for us, and um, those guys are all super cool. We we. Got real close with Phil. I mean, those guys already knew each other from the history of Tesla touring with Leopard back in the day. But, uh, you know, it still had been a long time. And so we, we hung out all the time. And, you know, we were going to do this uh, live record for Mechanical Resonance, uh, the anniversary. And we do, like, the entire album live. And I, I don't know whose idea was. Probably Phil's. Like, hey, you know, if you do that, I have this song that I wrote that, I was thinking it kind of sounds like a Tesla song. Why don't you guys record it and I'll produce it and you can throw that on your live record as a bonus track. So like, oh, that's cool. And so we, you know, we had a Pro Tools rig out on the road and we just, we're like doing like a really sort of in-depth demoing process of it so we could work out all the details of what we're going to do. And then like, you know, when the last leg was over, we went into the studio in Sacramento and recorded it, you know, in, in a real studio. But all the work we had done on those demos, uh, well, one, it made the recording real quick because we knew exactly what we wanted to do, yeah. right? But also, um, the demos sounded amazing too. And so we, and in working with Phil so much, you know, we it, it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. And so it kind of became through through that one song experience. It was like, well, why don't we do a whole record of actual original songs? Because Phil wrote that one t- entirely. Oh, okay. Um, uh, and it was it was just a B side, but it was you know a fun thing. So we made a video for yeah, it, and absolutely. Phil was in town because we were working on the record, and so he's in it. Um, but what we we took was that approach of working on the road, and we still had another year or two out with Leopard um, when we started to make the this new actual album. So we would just record stuff. I mean, like eighty percent of this record was done in dressing rooms and hockey arenas all over the country. It's so ridiculous how you can, you know, with digital recording, how great you can do it. But, you know, that way you can take your time. There was no deadline and, you know, you could do whatever you wanted. It was really, really fun. Well, as long as you're away from your family, you may as well be constructive. Seriously, we got so much done. Especially, like, I mean, we were the first band Mm. on that tour and so, I mean, we don't get a sound check. There's, I mean, we, we would do meet and greets, but basically there's a whole lot of nothing to do yeah. most of the day until we do our 40-minute set. And then there's a whole lot more nothing. <laughs> so if we have, like, a room set up where you, you can, you know, go go do tracks, I mean, really, it's like, oh, cool, got the bass track finished for that song, and I'm going to start doing some rhythms on top. And before you know it, you've finished half a song. Well, that's interesting. That's one, one thing I wanted to ask you, like, what what is an average Dave Rude day like? I mean, are you scheduling studio time, as it were, in a closet of a hockey arena? I mean, are, you know, do you guys you get up and you go? I mean, 
Is there scheduled time and stuff for something like that? <clears throat> you know, like what just in general on tour or yeah. when we were actually recording? Or like actually recording like that. Um, you know, there would be. It would depend because um, a lot of times, usually we'd, we would try and make it so Phil was there because he okay. was producing. So, he, right. you know, um, we got really deep with, with um, getting stuff tight, you know. Um, well, you're a very tight band to begin with. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I think... You guys are exceptional that way. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, and, and we, yeah, we we usually are pretty. We're we're good about getting stuff really tight in the studio, but with Phil, it's a next level. <laughs> like, I mean, we think about Def Leppard and how meticulous right, they were on all the classic yeah. stuff, and it was really cool to do that because you learn like that that tiny that extra five percent. Yeah. Of of paying attention to the details more than not only most people do, but more than most people even know exists. Right. Right. That we didn't before, at least I didn't. Like those tiny little details are what sets a huge record apart, at least the sound, you know. Sure. It's like now you know why the black album sounds better than yeah. all these other metal records that are also really good. And now you know why Mutt Lang records take two years to record. Oh my god! I mean, especially back then, because yeah. the fact that we can do a Pro Tools makes it so much easier. Yeah. But still, I mean, like, I mean, getting stuff tighter than you could even imagine. Where it's like, I'd hear something and be like, "Cool, that was perfect," and be like, yeah. mm, "No, listen to this," and you're like, "Jeez, you're right." Like, okay, if we're gonna go that deep, let me try another take. You know. Yeah. But so we would still do it. We wouldn't fix it, right? We'd just do it again and get it super tight. Sorry, this jewelry is probably like. Oh. It's like I got a conga player by me. What do you have the drunken percussionist behind you during the interview, man? It's really weird. Well, we did the interview at a Mexican restaurant, so we just figured it was, it's better that way. <laughs> uh, so, so we would. Point being that uh, it was better if Phil was with us because sometimes we might think stuff was done, and then he'd be like, "Well, let me try a little more like this." Um, I'm sure it's a not a right or wrong. It's just a different. Yeah. Just because your experience is different, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and actually, even more so than getting it tight, it was also just you know, if someone's producing a record. You want to bounce stuff off of them and uh, bounce stuff off of them and see like you know, I think this is a cool part. What do you think? Or like, hey, why don't you try it like this? And maybe you get it done and however you were going to do it. But then it's like, oh, cool. I, now I hear this other thing. Why don't you try it like this and do this? Well, and you're both heavy part. bands, but you're also both very melodic bands. Yeah. So I'm sure melodies and stuff were bouncing back and forth all the time. Big time. And that, that was what was so cool about it. It was this record where we made it more like a pop record, just in the way we wrote it and put it together. And um, everything was you know made to be a hook like kind of like all the the big sure. rock pop, and pop records in that that have done real well and um you know we, you always kind of do that you always try to do that but yeah. we spent a lot of time making sure every single thing was a hook you know and um a, a melodic hook basically a vocal or a guitar hook yeah all the time that's good advice it really is you know <laughs> it's so much fun to do too because it, it just i don't know it, it was a different way to work so you're saying that people like hooks is that what you're saying because <laughs> they can sing along with them or something <laughs> so are you are you from a musical family oh sorry <laughs> i think it just did a big rail <laughs> got this percussion guy he's doing blow the whole interview it was uncomfortable man oh. i'm not having that guy back oh <laughs> can i spit sorry dude yeah 
All right, so you're better. You're back. You're better. better. You're about six ounces lighter. <laughs> oh, there's the dog. There's the dog. Okay, oh, so. Man. Sorry, dude. Oh, it was cool. All right, sorry, we got the dog. All right. So, musical family? Not really. Um, both my parents, like, loved music and listened to it a lot. Um, my mom played guitar before I was born, so that she had an acoustic guitar uh, and lying around the house. And that's kind of, you know, why I probably yeah. got into it. And then when I did start taking lessons, I went to the teacher that she had used to take before, before I was born. Wow. But she didn't, I mean, she didn't even know any chords or anything. She didn't remember. It was, she took, took it for a while and then just sort of kept the guitar around before I was born. So what kind of stuff did you learn at first? Um, you know, Grateful Dead, <laughs> a lot of Bay area stuff. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, really, like old, uh, old country, old rock and roll, bluegrass stuff. You know, acoustic music. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't play with a flat pick till I was, you know, like till three, or four years later. I know you're a really good finger picker. Oh, thanks, Dan. That's I mean, because the guy that I did it with was a guy named Barry Olivier, and he was, he was a big, you know, he's pretty, I guess, well known sort of folk guitar player in the Bay Area, and you know, he's friends with Pete Seeger and that whole oh, thing. Wow. So, I was, you know, I was learning, yeah, you know, Woody Guthrie songs, and um, you know. Puff the Magic Dragon. <laughs> that was my first song. Puff the Magic Dragon and, and Yellow Submarine. Uh, he taught me two songs on my first day. Like, could you imagine? I was nine. Sheesh. He just made them really easy. I think, like, you know, two chord versions of both those songs. Right. But it was cool. I was like, wow, I can play two songs now. <laughs> I had no idea what they were about. <laughs> Puff the Magic... What? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that is. So how... Uh, and why did you start coming to... To Nashville to write. How did that happen? Um, well, uh, you know, our drummer, Te- uh, Troy and Tesla, um, had recently sort of moved out here a couple years before that. And he'd mentioned it to me because he knew a lot of writers. That's how I met you, yeah. right? Was, was yeah. Troy, Troy, you know, met a lot of people as soon as he came out. And he'd always said, hey, man, if you ever want to come and write or record or do whatever, you know, I can introduce you to people. And at that time, I was just doing Dave Rude Band outside of Tesla. And, and I had never thought of... Um, writing for other people. I never just, I didn't know it really existed. I mean, I knew it happened, but I, I didn't know how much of a thing it was here. Sure. Right. And, uh, I it think is, not to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. it is weird when you grow up, you look at his easy top record and they wrote all those songs. You look at a Van Halen record and they wrote all those yeah. songs. It's like, I didn't understand session guitar playing that way also. Yes. I thought outside of Steve Lukather and Dan Huff, there's no such thing. And it's like, then I got here and I was like, holy cow, this is a massive industry. It's so I weird. Know. I know. And, and it's really, you know, it's, it's pretty particular to Nashville. Like there's, yeah. I mean, there's small little enclaves, but really this is the, where that happens, you know, yeah. at least that I've seen, um, for, for the writing, you know, and, um, I went down to, this thing called the ASCAP Expo mm-hmm. that they do in Hollywood every year. I think they're still doing it where they, it's just like a songwriter expo and it's a few thousand people and it's a couple of days long. And I went down there to try and just make contacts for my solo band. I was just trying to work it and like, well, try and get a publishing deal. I don't know what that even means, but right. maybe I can get our publishing happening <laughs> with this band. I don't even know what it means. So I just, you know, networking. And, and when I was watching all these people talk, um, there was a ton of, of Nashville writers that were talking. I remember it was kind of, it was really, I think Josh Keir was, was oh, yeah. speaking. It was like 2011. Um, 
So he was like one of the keynote guys. And um, I, it was kind of during his speech, I was like, whoa, it's just kind of like a light switch. I was like, wait a minute. There's a whole world of people who just do that. And what what I had realized was I had been, you know, I've been playing guitar since I was a kid. And I was always writing a ton of songs for whatever band I was in and playing all the time. And what I would do is I'd write all these little things that didn't fit anything right. that I was doing. And and even, and just at that time in particular, like I'd write all these little pop things and I'd be like, well, that sounds like something that a girl would do or that sounds like a country song or this sounds like it would be for Shakira. And it never even dawned on me that you could maybe actually do that yeah. and that one day they could record your song. <laughs> I just like, well, okay, cool. I wouldn't throw it away, but I wouldn't like do anything with it. And then it was like in that seminar, I was like, geez, that, I think I'm already doing this. Right. I should do this. And like, and I got really excited about it. So I called Troy and, um, I literally called him from the expo, said, Hey man, can I come stay at your house and you can introduce me some writers. And so I started doing that and I'd come out here three, four times a year and just book a week of writing two, three songs a day. And it, it was so much fun. And I've just kept at it ever since. And yeah, so so you're saying I don't have to be gone 300 days a year? Oh, <laughs> yeah. and still I can still write songs? Right, yeah. Oh, okay, that's great. Seriously, and then yeah. that's, that's that whole side of it, because, I mean, the way the music industry is now, if, if you're not on tour, it's hard to make any kind of money. Yeah. But it'd be nice to have a musical thing where, you know, hopefully one day you could actually make real money doing it and not have to be gone. Yeah, there's uh, less writers... Real writers with publishing deals in Nashville than there are NFL players. It's like it's pretty pretty small right now. Yeah, seriously. And, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Everything everything changes. Mm-hmm. And I I tell you, man, I'd hate to be these cats that own these five million dollar studios. Oh yeah. It's like unless you're a producer and you're producing acts in your studio, you mm. know, like Nick Raskulinitz or somebody. It's right. like, man, I don't know. I don't know what these people because everybody's got a Pro Tools rig or something. Yeah, yeah, it's you can barely tell the difference, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, who are your favorite country acts? Uh, <clears throat> man, you know, I I love the the big the big you know pop guys, you know, yeah. like uh, you know, I, I love Jason Aldean and Eric Church, absolutely, and, and the you know the girls. Man, I love Casey Musgraves. Yeah, the new record's out of control. You know, um, Lady Annabellum, all that, all that stuff. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I saw a, a Dan Rather interview with Marty Stewart, mm-hmm. and he, you could tell he was kind of digging. Like, you know, what do you think of these new guys, the Luke Bryans and the Florida Georgia Lines? And yeah. Marty just looked at him and goes, "You know what? Anybody that knows me knows I'm a classic country guy. That's what I am. It's what I've been my whole life. It's what I'm going to be my whole life." But it would be pretty stupid of me to point at the guys that are selling out stadiums and try to tell them what they're doing wrong. <laughs> you know, like, that's about the best answer you could have given. Man. That's it's great. Like, you kind of got your point through, but you didn't step on any toes. Dude, um, yeah, I lo- I, dude, I love Luke Bryan. I love Florida Georgia Line. Like all that, st- you know, gets a lot of flack sometimes from people. Like, screw that. And the songs are fantastic. They're like those those songs are perfect yeah and the fucking performances are perfect like it is so good dude there's a double platinum plaque right there i had a song on a florida georgia line record they're still selling records luke bryan's still selling records jason aldean's still selling records it's like yep you know people 
people want to hear that stuff. People are like, oh, well, all the songs are the same and whatever. Who, who cares? So? There's songs that people like. That's, yeah. you know, I think that's really cool to write a song that connects with people that people want to hear. Who cares if it's just about drinking on Friday night again? Yeah. Who cares? It's still fun. And then the melody is cool. It's to me, the, you know, the, the, a melody that moves you, that's, that's what it's all about, you know? Dude, if we can sing along with it, it's Ex- good to me. Yep. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> so who are your favorite rock guys? Uh, and I know this list could go on forever. <laughs> um, you know, it's, I grew up on all the same sort of regular classic stuff. I mean, Guns N' Roses was kind of my biggest influence. Yeah. Kind of got me into doing it. Um, you know, Metallica, Aerosmith, Zeppelin, all the regular stuff. Um, Steve Ray Vaughan, uh, you know, Joe Satriani and Steve Vai and weird guitar guy stuff too. Yeah. Um, I love Foo Fighters. They were just here. Oh, really? Did you go? We did not. We had tickets, but... Oh. You remember it was scheduled for like six months ago, and then I guess Dave Grohl's mom got real sick or something. Oh, they had to I move a bunch of that. dates, and then this is so dumb. But Amy had a wedding to shoot the next day, and we just thought, man, if we're out really late yeah. the night before a wedding, so we just we sold the tickets. Yeah, I hear you. Anyway, all right. Well, let's. Uh, what are you touring with, gear wise and stuff? Ah. Uh. Right now, it was nice to be back on our own gear this weekend because we hadn't for we'd, we'd done a South American tour in oh, yeah. December, which was really fun, but it was all backline gear. So I just had a little fly, but fly date pedal board and a few guitars, and then it was like a different Marshall every night, and half the time they were not good Marshalls. <laughs> but but so it would be back on our regular gear was awesome. Um, I've been the last year, or so I've been using um, this Friedman. Um, the Runt 50 head uh, with the Marshall cab. And then I also have a Friedman pink taco head, the 20 watt one. Uh, and I use the, the main one, the big one, the Runt as like my main sort of tone. And then I turn on the little guy, the Runt for, I'm uh, sorry, the, the pink taco uh, for solos. So it comes on as a second amp at the same time. Uh, and I had also been using a Fender twin and clean, clicking over that for all the clean stuff. Um, but it, Something there was a problem with it. It was just an old used one I had, um, so it didn't work right for a while. And then I started using the Friedman Clean Channel. It sounds so good. Yeah, I've just kept using that. I, I also also have this really killer uh, modded JCM nine hundred that um, Voodoo Amps modded oh, for yeah. me, Trace Davis, which is like one of the best amps I've ever played. So um, that's what I had been playing the last probably two years before that. Um, and then I, I, so I still have that up there too. Right now I'm, I'm using the Freemans, but I kind of go back and forth because, you know, I'm lucky that I've got a bunch of really, really cool yeah. amps, you know. And then, yeah, for guitars, uh, Gibsons and Epiphones, you know. What about Gibson? Wow. That's crazy. I know. You know, I, I'm hoping that it's one of those things that sounds you know scarier than it is for people who aren't like business people like yeah. like oh maybe that's a regular thing people just do bankruptcy <laughs> to get infusions of cash cuz i don't know it's one of those things you can't imagine it like going away right no i hope it doesn't go away Jeez. and they say it's like what 500 million dollars in debt or something crazy and Lord. i guess henry's out is he out yeah wow. i guess they're going to golden parachute him He'll stay around as an advisor for like a year or something, and then him and the he's the CEO, so the the president is also out. Really? 
Wow. But, it's pretty soon it's going to be President Bonamassa of Gibson Brands <laughs> well, he USA. Says that's crap. He says that's not. Oh, really? Did he did he deny that? <clears throat> yeah. But you know, they had no presence at NAM this year. I heard that. I skipped yeah. NAM this year, but someone told me there was zero. I mean, they right. usually have like a whole wing. Oh man. It's gigantic. Like that has to be a a bit of a sign, huh? Oh. Yeah, that's I mean literally they have their own whole room. Yeah. I I can't imagine a NAM without Gibson. That's a huge company, man. Wow. I, yeah. Wow. I wonder so do you have any uh contraband guitars like that you're scared to travel to Europe with or anything like that? I, mean, I hope not. With all those I, rules? You know, I, when when that happened, what was that like 2009, 2010, yeah. when, when it, was it people Ebony? started taking wood, taking guitars from people. I, it was something like that. And yeah. I don't know, but we were going to Europe a lot then. So I, I did get nervous. So did Frank. We were like, geez, I don't know what kind of wood this yeah. is. I don't want some customs guy in Germany to tell me I'm not allowed to have my guitar anymore. I won't get it back for two years or something, <sighs> Goofy. Luckily, it never happened. But um, I mean, I've got some really great guitars, but I, I'm really bad with all the specs. I have no idea what kind of wood or anything. It's like, oh, that was a really cool Les Paul. It was two grand. You know, I don't know. <laughs> what kind of wood is that? Uh, it's red. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a really kind. pretty red. There's some uh, knobs in it. Look, sparkles over there. <laughs> cool, right? <laughs> but you didn't, there's not like, they're not cutting endorses down or anything like that. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. I not mean, that you've been told or anything? No, not not that I've been told. I mean, I was, I was in L.A. writing with uh, with Jared James Nichols. Oh, yeah. last month, and we were writing at the Gibson showroom because they have like kind of writing rooms there. Um, and hey, man, it looked like business as usual to me. Yeah. Like nobody was like packing up boxes there. So that that's kind of <laughs> one of those things. I hope that it just sounds worse than it is, and yeah. everything will keep going on as. As planned. So, uh, are you throwing that away? Yeah. Well, you know, I can take it off your hands. Seriously, like, <laughs> go, at least you got to do like a big fire sale or something. Yeah. Well, I remember at one point, Paul Reed Smith was talking about possibly buying Gibson. And he said the first thing he would do would be to cut up about 10,000 guitars. Because he said they've so overproduced and their prices are so high. It's like, you know, I was with breakfast with one of the FGL guitar players, yeah. and he's a PRS endorsee. But he's going, you know, the top of the line PRS is maybe three grand, four grand. Mm-hmm. He goes, these new reissue Les Pauls are $10,000. And it's like, I don't know who's buying them. So it yeah. sure isn't me. No, no that's the thing. It's, I was talking about that the other I think I was talking to Frank on the weekend about it. It's like, those guitars are fantastic. Oh, absolutely. But they're so expensive. Like the the market is so limited cuz I yeah. mean like I'm a professional guitar player. That's what I do. I can justify buying a bunch of guitars or buying an expensive guitar and that's way too much money for me. I'm not going to buy that guitar. And you're in a big national worldwide touring band. It's like you're not a professional guy that plays the Holiday Inn. It's like and yeah, I can't imagine. I don't know. So who is like if if it's not a guy like me, then who is going to buy a ten thousand like dollar Les Paul? Some doctor that goes, see that guitar? Cost ten grand. Really? Like how does it play? Well, I don't know. I've never. Played. <laughs> yeah, I know. And like, okay, so there's going to be a few people who do, but they're just going to buy one. 
Yeah. Right? I think, I mean, I don't know how the guitar business works, but it seems like if you had really good guitars that were twelve to $1,500 and people bought a lot of them, yeah. that's a better business model. You know, when they had those, those Les Paul traditionals at Guitar Center, mm-hmm. those are great guitars. I have one. Frank had like five of them because 1200 bucks is a lot of money, but it's kind of doable. Yeah. You know what I mean? But when, it, when you go look at something and it's five grand, it's like, jeez. I don't even try them. Like, well, it's five grand. I don't even pick it up because no, if I want it, I'm just going to be frustrated. Right. You know, but I'm not going to spend that much money on a guitar, even if I can, because it's kind of ridiculous. And my wife eventually will notice that guitar hanging on the wall. <laughs> even if I disguise it like one of my other ones. <laughs> Why do you always have a flannel shirt over that guitar? <laughs> uh, it's cold. It's cold. So do you have any fenders? Uh, yeah. You know what? I've got a really cool Fender Strat um, that I bought from a friend of mine back home where we were making this record because uh, the, the new Tesla record because it needed some sort of stratty tones. Um, it's just like a regular um, USA one. And then I've got a couple like sort of cheaper Mexican ones that are great guitars too. Yeah. But those I usually just play at home. I do them a lot of, a lot of uh, Nashville demos to get the Fender sort of tone. But with Tesla, it's always, you know, yeah. Gibson Epiphone, big humbucker sound because the strats are kind of different sound for us. Yeah. 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 All you guys, big, big chords. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you're coming here with Sticks and Joan Jett on June 12th. Yeah. I'm fired up about that. Me too. That'll be fun. Yeah. Well, man, I have the 10 questions. All right. And this is just like top of the head stuff. All right. You all can right. pass if you want to. Okay. <laughs> Okay. What's your favorite book? Oh, man. I read all the time. Let's see. What's a... Uh, um, the Orphan Master's Son. The what? <laughs> it's called The Orphan Master's Son. Uh, I think the author's Adam Johnson. It, it you know, won all sorts of awards. It, like two, three years ago it was out. It's a, um, it's a novel, but uh, about... a. Soldier in North Korea. Hmm. It's it was super interesting. Like I'm I'm a nut with yeah. I've followed North Korea thing a lot, and so I read hella books about it. <laughs> but it's really good. Orphan <laughs> Master Son. What's your favorite food? Mm, that's just hard to do. Whatever's in front of you. Whatever's right in front of me. Yeah. Let's let's say Thai food. I don't know. Sure. Well, your wife is from Peru, right? Yeah, I love Peruvian food. And she's food. a great cook. She is, yeah. And yeah. the food is fantastic. The Peruvian food is definitely up there. Yeah. What's your favorite quote? Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can't think of any quotes. <laughs> I heard like a couple good ones yesterday that I still can't remember. Let There Be Rock by Let, Bon Scott, maybe? I like that. I'll go with Let There Be Rock. <laughs> What's your best music-related memory? could be playing or a show you saw or the first time you heard a Van Halen record or Stevie Ray or anything oh, like that. Oh, man. Oh, jeez. Um, you know, it, that's it's. it'd be so hard because there's a lot of them. But yeah. I would say, uh, you know, one of the coolest shows that we've done with Tesla was um, – Years ago now in Spain, uh, there's this festival in, in Bilbao, Spain, which is up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And it was this giant outdoor thing. And 
you know, multiple stages, but it's up in the mountains. It's in the Cobeta Mountains. So it's like you're literally, it's like you're playing in the Sierra Nevadas. Like it's weird. Like, so these big outdoor stages. And I just remember looking out and there's like 40,000 people. There's like rock cliffs everywhere. And you look up and there's people on the cliffs watching the <laughs> band. Like, and it was just surreal and yeah. just the view is it was weird you're just looking out at this beautiful mountain range and playing in front of this massive crowd um so I, I, that, like, that'll do in a pinch that was pretty yeah. fun that's probably something you go uh, you know what i'm never gonna get tired of doing that yeah <laughs> take it for granted no <laughs> nope. no thanks not me <laughs> what's your best life memory oh life memory Birth of your son. That's pretty good. Yeah, I still remember that. That's a good one. (laughs) That that should be my go-to answer. I shouldn't have to think that hard. I'm just trying to help you along. Thank you. (laughs) If you did one thing, would you rather be a writer or a producer or a guitar player? Writer. Yeah. Honestly, it sounds crazy, uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's so hard to 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 choose one, and and I've been so lucky that I haven't had to, but. I mean, one, it's obviously so hard to just do one. Um, but for me, I love playing live, like, so much. Yeah. But it's kind of like a different brain. Right. And it's a different thing. And I found that I get more excited and it's more like, you want to go shout from the rooftops and oh my God, this was so fun. This was so amazing. And like, just so so happy when i when i'm writing a song just in a quiet room with one or two other people yeah and and then especially when you're done it's like wow that song is amazing i for some reason that is maybe more fun than playing some giant show and it's hard to 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 gauge them because it is so amazing to play those cool shows and, and be with the crowds but it's just it's a different part of your brain and and i i just feel like i i maybe am more fulfilled writing a song i mean i've certainly never played the kind of stages you have and stuff but to me it's like right now there is no song but three hours from now we're gonna have a new song and it's coming completely out of the air you know and it's like that's always just been i mean i've probably written over a thousand songs and it still is just amazing to me that Two knuckleheads and a couple guitars, and off we go. It's magic. Yeah, it like is. that's that's. It's kind of like we're creating magic, and so as much fun. I mean, there's the thing about playing live is that it's so cool. But I mean, unless you're in Government Mule, it's you're playing the same thing every night, and right. it's still always fun. But yeah. you're not creating anything. Right. It's you know maybe I'll get mm. like. 14 seconds to do some improv in one song <laughs> and then another 23 seconds somewhere else. Like literally if you, if you put all my improv together, it's maybe three or four minutes to throughout the whole show. Um, and which, which is probably the way for most guys, you know, in any band, because oh, yeah. you're playing these hits. You want to, that's what people want to hear. You want to sound like the record. And even if I did them all improv, it's still just the solo. So yeah. that's like 20 seconds per song. Who cares? Right. So it's, it's, it's more reproducing something. And so that's, that's also what I'm saying. It's like a different part of your brain. So as, as much fun as it is, it's less creative than it seems. It's more just like 
that other side of like, yeah, I get to go be a guitar player and jump around and like all that energy and the excitement is so cool, but it's, it's, it's a reproduction of something that was created earlier. And just making a song out of nothing is so much fun. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, uh, Rick Nielsen from cheap trick, he said, nobody pays us to play. He said, they pay us to travel. And it's like, I mean, you guys, all you want to do is get on stage. It's the other 22 hours a day that you're pulling your hair out or staring at a wall or whatever. So many of those cliches that, you know, you hear growing up are totally true. Like, (laughs) I mean, we, we're, we're, we don't party. We, we have, we're like dry on the road. There's, we don't have alcohol backstage. No one's on drugs or anything. No one even smokes cigarettes. It's, it's really super clean, but I could see how if you were like 23 you could just go nuts because there's so much time to do absolutely nothing yeah where if you were like hey uh, let's crack open a bottle of whiskey at noon like all right yeah you know i I mean i i could see why so many bands in you know through through the history of rock have have gone off the rails with that because there's just so much boredom and that's what's cool with with you know mobile recording I have my Pro Tools rig, so I just set up my little area backstage and and start recording all day. That's what uh, you know. Our bass player does it too, and a lot of a couple guys just you know work out, record, then it's time for sound check, and yeah. you know, so you can kind of fill your day with productive stuff. <laughs> <laughs> What's a favorite song you've written? Oh man, whether it's been cut or not. Yeah. Um, uh, that's really so hard. Um, maybe because hopefully people will hear it as uh, I'm. I wrote this song called "Shock" that's going to be on the new Tesla record, and I'm super proud of that song. I really cool. like that song. It's it's pretty rocking and um, kind of different for Tesla, but I think people will like it. I hope. I don't know, but that that'll that'll do in a pinch for <laughs> for that one. How do you guys? Okay, you did you write Shock by yourself? Yeah, I mean Phil Phil produced it, but okay. I, I wrote all the parts. Yeah. So then, how do you how do you bring songs to the band? If you if you and me write a song and you go, oh, this would be a great Tesla song. I mean, how does that happen? Do you just send everybody a copy of it, or it's you know it's different. It's it's cool actually how we've kind of done our original records different every time um, in. So there's been records where we've all gotten in a room. Like the last record that actually came out was Simplicity in 2014. And that one, we kind of intentionally wanted to do it more like organic, live in a room, Mm -hmm. less overdubs, less perfect, and let's write it a little more together. Yeah. Um, So we literally went out to uh, our co-producer's house in the middle of nowhere in Virginia and... um, set up drums in the living room because he didn't have neighbors and you know we just jammed and you know we all sort of brought in demo ideas yeah. and we would sort of listen to the little recordings that people made and be like oh yeah that one's cool let's try it or like well i like that chorus from that one let's just take that chorus and yeah kind of more like five guys in a room writing songs like you imagine every record was made which usually they weren't but you know you kind of right um and then you know sculpt it and massage it from there to to the final product but then like 
and that's a really fun way to work too. But oh, then on man, this yeah. this new record, it was totally different. It was like I said, it was more of a you know the way pop records get made. So each guy would individually basically email those demos that mm-hmm. you made at home to Phil, and he would come and be like, okay, yeah, that's a cool one. Let's let's do something like that. And so a, a lot of the songs the other guys in the band didn't hear until they were already getting recorded which is so weird right and it's you know because i don't know it was it was different it was more like like you put handing the reins to to the producer more so than than you usually do but that's how you do it in that type of like a mutt lang situation and he was using a lot of the mutt tricks and methods and sure so that's you know how it ended up being so cool and um it was weird. So it was the, the songs that I have on the new Tesla record was stuff that I would write at home and then send to Phil, and he'd be like, "Cool, why don't you try something different on the chorus?" And I'd rewrite it, and a couple of days later, send him a new chorus. Like, okay, cool, that's good. But what if we change the lyrics? Okay, and then I write rewrite the lyrics, send that back, like kind of like what you would do in a writing room, but you know, stretched out over however yeah. many days or weeks um, until the point where it's like, "Cool, that's done. Let's start building it," and then you know, we can start tracking stuff to to just midi drums and then put on real drums later you know um so i really love working like that because it is more like like here and writing in a in a writer's room where you're really just going if it's one or two people it you can i don't know i mean because it is it's really cool to write with the whole band too but it's i feel like you can get maybe better you can get to hooks and stuff quicker when it's just, you know, when maybe it's also the mindset of like, okay, whatever, whatever idea you got, that's cool. But can it be more memorable? Sure. Like, what can you do? Like what can, instead of, if you're all five guys in a room, it's easier to just like, well, this sounds awesome. Let's keep going. We don't need to tweak on it. Yeah. But if, if you're looking at it more surgically, like a songwriter brain, it's like, yeah, that's really cool, but it should be half as long or, you know, it needs yeah. another hook on top. And then if you do it that way, you get a better song, always. And also, sometimes the chorus you write at 10 in the morning and you think is the best thing since pizza right. by 3 that afternoon, you hate it. Yeah. And you realize, this chorus sucks. Yes. <laughs> well, now what are we going to do? But if you have an impartial brain yep. that you respect yeah. and that has done what you do, yep. then and you're firing it back and forth and he's dissecting it, but he he's not the writer, so he's not he's not in love with it, right? You know what I mean? It's exactly. Like, I can just tell you that chorus is great, but let's do this instead. Oh yeah, that makes total sense. You know, and totally. And then sometimes he would actually be a writer on it. He would like, well, how about this? And would come up with a part. And it's like, cool. All right, yeah. now it's us writing the song together. Um, so I mean, there definitely was collaboration too uh, between with Phil and with the other guys in the band. Um, I think there's always the danger. Jeffrey Steele, when I started writing, I was writing for his company, and he said, don't censor yourself. Because mm-hmm. I would always go like, oh, 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 never mind. And he would go like, what? What were you going to say? Tell me what you were going to say. Because it may not be good, but it may take us to somewhere else that's good. Yeah. And sometimes he would just go, okay, there are no stupid ideas. And then I would tell him what I was thinking, and he'd go, except that one. <laughs> <laughs> So but, true. but those ideas do take you, and you don't know where I'm headed. Yep. So if I can get you going in a direction that I wasn't going to go to begin with, yep. it might be way better. Always, man. Like, you kind of got to get, that's one thing I used to tell young writers, mm-hmm. is you kind of got to get naked 
yeah. in this room. You know, you kind of got to just All be right. open. Hold on. Well, I haven't had pants on for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> and if you could get off that couch, that would be great. No. <laughs> but you know, I mean, you got to you got to be able to have somebody go, ah, I don't like that. I mean, if, if you look at everything as it's, it's precious, then this day is going to either take way too long or we're just not even going to go. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. And and that's that's how it's, like you said, it's it can be like kind of intimidating to just like throw out all these bad ideas. But like I, some of the best songs, you know, that you write are the ones that come out from the most stupid shit. Yeah. You know, it's like, because it leads on to something better or like, I mean, you know, you're writing, maybe you got two lines of a verse and it's like, okay, these next two lines, you just say what you're trying to say in like three sentences. Okay. okay, Now if we could just find a way to say that cool in four (laughs) syllables, but then that's what, then everyone's thinking, okay, yep, cool. And then 20 minutes later you got the best line ever. So, I mean, that, that is, I think that's the best way to do it. That's the fun and the bad part of working with, Two guys or working with five guys. Sometimes there's not enough ideas. Sometimes there's way too many. Exactly. Ideas. Like, okay, we just had five ideas and they're all really good. Right. Well, now what? Yeah. You know, and it's 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 hard. But and then having you know having someone like Phil to produce because uh, he's such a great writer, right? Yeah. And, and done so many things. Like he's someone like you said whose opinion you respect. So if you have a producer like that. And, and he says mm, that chorus could be stronger. Like, okay, that chorus could be stronger. I'll get to, I'll get to work. You know. Whereas if it was some dude that you're like, well, I don't know why this guy's even producing the record. Right. It's like, sure. man, he's wrong. This chorus is great. You know, it, you're not gonna go as far. But when you have someone who's so good and so experienced and had such a great track record, like, you know, his, his advice is always right, you know? Yeah. So it, it just ends up, you know, if he says to try something, you try it and it, you know, nine times out of 10 was a better idea and you just do it. And you're willing to take that advice. I remember exactly. writing and talking to a publisher who was crapping all over my songs. <laughs> and I finally just went, you know what? Hum me your latest hit. Exactly. I can hum you mine. That's it. And then I saw his face and I just immediately, I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to be that guy. I right. told people, I'll go back and work on this. But my attitude was crappy at that point and yeah. I don't, I probably didn't change a thing. Yeah, seriously. And never had another cut. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was my last cut. <laughs> it was a black day. So was there a song... Besides your favorite song, is there a song you wish you would have written? Oh, man. Springsteen by Eric Church. I really? love that song. Oh, man. That song's perfect. Yeah. I love it. God. He's really good, man. He's got a great band. Oh, it's just. I've written with Driver a couple times. Yeah. Guitar he's player. And, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think Eric and Jeff Hyde wrote that one with maybe someone else. But Jeff's is a the, like utility guy, yeah. kind of, right? Like banjo and. It's like an acoustic man. What a song! Driver's a good dude. He's oh a, yeah, Driver's amazing. He's a little bit of a metal fan. Just a tad. Just a tad. <laughs> Just a tad with the Metallica tattoos and all that. <laughs> great guy. Great player. We were in uh, Austin at one of the iHeart festivals when I was with FGL. Yeah, and they were there too. And we were already done. I don't remember who went on first. But anyway, because they had the revolving stage, you know. So right. Someone would be on stage while they were setting up the other one, and it just kept going. Yeah. And so I'm side stage watching him play, and he turns his back on me, and he points at his back, and he's got the 
uh, I think it's Beyond. No, what? It was some Pantera album cover that was like sewn into his jacket. Yes. He was just pointing at it because he knew what a dime bag fan. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's the coolest thing about like country nowadays. All those dudes are rock dudes. Absolutely. Like, I mean, like ninety percent of the guys in bands and even the writers, they they all of them love country, obviously, but. They all, you know, grew up listening to Aerosmith and Guns N' Roses like I did, you know? Well, and there's a lot of rock guys that are moving to town, you know? <sighs> Tons. John Zocco told me that Billy Sheehan just moved here. He did? Yeah. I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> oh, man, I think half of L.A. moved here. Well, I think all these guys, if they don't like, I know you have a lot of family. And yeah. They, so it's like that's where you should be. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people just don't want to raise kids in L.A. Or, Abs- you know, they're sick of the I traffic or whatever. And so they come out here and they're in the country and that it's like, I get it. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. No, I love it here. I'm, I, I don't blame anyone for ever moving out. <laughs> I get you. <laughs> so who would you still like to write with that you haven't written with? Fuck man. Tons. Uh, man, I love Ashley Gorley. Uh, Shane McAnally, I would love. I mean, just the hugest guys that yeah. everyone here wants to write with. So you know. rock guys, uh, rock guys, like, you know what? Yeah, Dave Bassett. He's a writer producer. Um, he's in L.A., but I man, he some of his uh, bigger stuff. Like he worked a lot with Shinedown. He he co-wrote Second okay. Chance, their big okay. giant hit, and a bunch of other ones. Um, man, he's done some great shit. He did uh, that L. King song, X's and O's. Um, oh, okay, pop stuff. But yeah, he's yeah, a yeah. rock dude. Yeah, but he writes with all these pop people too, and um, I wouldn't. Love to write with him, um, you know, and obviously like Desmond Child or any of those guys. It's all these giant, what you know, top of the top is of the pop. John Bon Jovi still around? <laughs> yeah, dude, Desmond Child is still having hits. You yeah. know, it's ridiculous. You know, I really love to like write with Shellback or Max Martin. Those are the, the pop dudes. Yeah, the, the Swedish guys, all the Swedes. I I love all the Swedish pop stuff, and um, I love Swedish candy. I love also Swedish fish. <laughs> They, no no <laughs> question about it. Swedish fish is one of my top three candies, and I love candy, and that is definitely one of them. It's so good. <laughs> All right, last question. Yes. If you weren't a writer what, or a musician, if you mm. weren't a musician, what else? What would you be doing? Oh, man. Oh, God. I don't know. Male model, maybe? Most likely a, a, a male model. Of, like a, I could have been a model, mostly like hands. Hand modeling. I yeah. was thinking ankle modeling is, is sort of a new niche I'm trying to break into. <laughs> I'm getting, starting a Facebook page. And, so do you actually walk on a runway or you just stand? You sit in a, in a revolving chair with like a cloak <laughs> with only your ankle showing in it. <laughs> Someone slowly spins you around so everyone can view the ankle. So you don't even have to like get dressed up or anything. No, you don't have to go to the gym either. It doesn't matter. It's just all about the ankle. So you're saying I got a shot? <laughs> <laughs> we do have a backup plan now. <laughs> Dave Rude, I think I think you've said it all. Is there anything else that's on your mind? Any, uh, any other projects you're working on or? Um, no, man, just, just writing. I'm, I'm slowly sort of working on my, uh, next, next solo record eventually, you cool. know, but, uh, nah, man, just real excited about the new Tesla record and, and getting back out here and writing more. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. See ya. Bye.